0: MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders plus a sleep bundle for listeners in honor of Cyber Monday. Go to slash dailybeans and use code HelixPartner25. And thanks to Policy Genius for supporting the Daily Beans. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net, and you deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. Welcome to The Daily Beans for Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Today, Hunter Biden agrees to appear before the House Oversight Committee, but only in public. The conservative Ohio Supreme Court dismisses challenges to the Republican gerrymandered maps. The Trump-appointed judge assigned to Elon Musk's lawsuit has recused himself from the case. Mike Pence told special counsel some harrowing details about January 6th. Senate Democrats meet with the IDF on Capitol Hill. And another resolution to expel George Santos is brought to the House floor. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Dana is still out. She's sick. Please, please send her the healing vibes. Um, And also baby pictures when you send us the good news. And I will send them all. I will forward them all to Dana. Send your baby pictures in. Uh, You can do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Today, later in the show, I'm going to be chatting with my friend Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor, host of Justice Matters, incredible podcast and YouTube channel. And we're going to talk about the trial schedule for Trump and his new piece that Glenn wrote for MSNBC. Uh, Also, just a quick, I guess, a quick, quick hit. Um, the, The Trump appointed judge, you know, Elon Musk was judge shopping when he filed in Texas, and he got a Trump appointee. But that Trump appointee named Pittman has recused. And the new judge is an old G.W. Bush guy. And he's terrible, too. I mean, he's he's been very anti-labor, anti-LGBTQ. And, and there was a huge percentage of chance of if, if you didn't get one, you would get the other. So um, that's why he filed in that jurisdiction. But um, anyway, we don't know why this judge recused, Judge Pittman, uh, but he has. Uh, if I find out why, I'll let you know, but that Musk lawsuit, the one against Media Matters, is ridiculous. I am I only hope it makes it to Discovery so we can find out what goes on behind the scenes at Twitter with Elon Musk and how embarrassing that will be for him, but I don't know that it's going to make it uh, past the uh, pretrial motions to dismiss. We'll see. Alright, um, everybody, we have a lot of news to get to today. Let's hit the hot notes. <laughs> Hot notes. All right, first up from Catherine Falders at ABC. Speaking with special counsel Jack Smith's team earlier this year, former Vice President Mike Pence offered harrowing details about how, in the wake of the 2020 presidential election, then President Donald Trump surrounded himself with crank attorneys, espoused un American legal theories, and almost pushed the country toward a constitutional crisis. That's according to sources familiar with what Pence told investigators. Which means Pence <laughs> his team. Ah, uh, the sources said Pence also told investigators he's sure that in the days before January six, when a violent mob tried to stop Congress from certifying the election, that he informed Trump he hadn't seen evidence of significant election fraud, but Trump was unmoved, continuing to claim the election was stolen and acting recklessly on that tragic day. Pence is the highest ranking current or former government official known to have spoken with special counsel's team investigating the efforts to overturn the election. What he allegedly told investigators, described exclusively to ABC News, sheds further light on the evidence that Smith's team has amassed as it prosecutes Trump for trying to unlawfully remain in power and erode public faith in democratic institutions. Pence could take the stand against Donald Trump should Smith's election interference case go to trial, which is currently slated to occur in March. We're going to talk more about that on the next episode of the Jack podcast. There's a new piece out by Randall Eliason about the only thing that could delay this trial, the March trial uh, in the coup case. And we've talked about it on Jack already, those those potential interlocutory appeals. So you definitely want to tune in this weekend. Uh, as described to ABC News, much of what the former vice president told Smith's investigations mirrored and at times restated verbatim comments that he's previously made publicly. Questions from Smith's team repeatedly focused on a book Pence published last year, with investigators apparently seeking to have Pence confirm under oath an array of post-election stories and opinions he included in the book. But speaking with Smith's team behind closed doors, Pence offered previously undisclosed anecdotes and details showing how his longtime friendship with Trump unraveled in the final weeks of their time in the White House, including Pence's repeated warnings to Trump about then-president's push to overturn the election results. Sources said that in at least one interview with Pence, Smith's investigators pressed the former VP on personal notes he took after meetings with Trump and others, which investigators obtained from the National Archives. According to sources, one of Pence's notes obtained by Jack Smith's team shows that days before Pence was set to preside over Congress certifying the election results, he momentarily decided that he would skip the proceedings altogether writing in the note that there were too many questions and it would otherwise be, quote, too hurtful to my friend. But he ultimately concluded he had a duty to show up. Hmm, yeah. After everybody and their fucking mother told him that he had to, and we're going to get to that. And by the way, that was me. That wasn't Catherine Falters in ABC. (laughs) That was me interjecting. Speaking with Smith's team, Pence insisted his loyalty to President Trump at the time never faltered. My only higher loyalty was to God and the Constitution. Ugh, this is so coming from Pence's team. Sources said that investigators' questioning became so granular at times that they pressed Pence over the placement of a comma in the book when recounting a phone call with Trump on Christmas Day 2020. Pence wrote in his book, "You know, comma, I don't think I have the authority to change the outcome of the election on January 6th." But Pence told Smith's investigators that that comma should have never been put there, according to sources. Pence told Smith's investigators he actually meant to write in the book that he had admonished Trump, you know, I don't think I have the authority to change the outcome. Not, you know, I don't think I have the authority. Suggesting Trump was well aware of the limitations of Pence's authority days before January 6th, a line that Smith includes in his indictment. Now, in April, ABC News reported that Pence had just testified before a federal grand jury in Washington. Two months later, in June, Pence launched a bid to challenge Trump as the Republican Party's next presidential candidate. His campaign lasted only four months. Sources said Pence acknowledged to Smith's team that even before Election Day on November 3rd, he was aware that the Trump-Pence ticket was expected to take a big early lead in the polls, then would gradually fade as more mail-in ballots were counted. We called it the Red Mirage. We reported on it forever. We told everybody, beware of the Red Mirage. It's going to look bad on election night. And boy, it did. I was having flashbacks. I was having 2016 drama flashbacks on 2020 election night. We even did a live show. I was like, I don't think we should, but but election live shows this particular cycle don't make any sense because we're not going to get the results for days. Anyway, Catherine Falders goes on to say, in the first few days after the election, Pence never saw any significant allegations of fraud, according to what he told Smith's team. But Trump still declared victory and claimed there was a major fraud in our nation within hours of the polls closing. Though Pence allegedly told investigators he believes Trump was speaking in very general terms, not about specific instances of fraud. But we have evidence that They were talking about saying that the election was stolen months before it even happened. At the same time, Trump privately instructed Pence to dig into any political fraud or irregularities in the election, telling Pence their campaign was going to fight in court and elsewhere. However, sources told ABC News Pence said he grew concerned when within days of the election, Trump began ignoring the advice of credible, experienced attorneys inside the White House, instead relying on outsiders like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell who pushed notions of widespread election fraud, and as Pence allegedly told Smith's team, quote, did a great disservice to the president and a great disservice to this country. There's no doubt that Trump knew what I thought of these attorneys, but he still listened to them. That's what Pence told Smith. The sources said with pressure on Pence mounting, he concluded on Christmas Eve, just for a moment, that he would follow Trump's suggestion and let someone else preside over the the proceedings on January 6th. That's that handwritten note saying, doing otherwise would be too hurtful to my friend, Donald Trump. And this is a quote of, of the note. Not feeling like I should attend electoral count. That's what he wrote late in late December. Too many questions, too many doubts, too hurtful to my friend. Therefore, I'm not going to participate in the certification of election. Then, sitting across the table from his son, a Marine, while on vacation in Colorado, Pence's son said to him, Dad, you took the same oath I took. It was an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And that's when Pence decided he would be at the Capitol on January 6th, after all. This is Pence's team trying to make him sound like a hero, but he's such a non-hero. What a bunch of unheroic bullshit. I mean, calling all your friends multiple times, including Dan Quayle, and practically begging him to find holes in the 12th Amendment until finally your fucking son has to tell you to put on your big boy pants and go count the ballots. It's just uh, frustrating. And Andy and I are going to go over some of this and the legal implications on the next episode of the Jack podcast. All right, next up from local NBC4. New state legislative maps heavily criticized by redistricting advocates as unduly favoring Republican legislators will remain in place until 2030. The Ohio Supreme Court ruled Monday evening. In a dismissal of legal challenges to the redistricting plans, the court pointed to the commission's bipartisan approval of the maps as evidence that conditions have changed from when the complaints were first filed in 2021. The Ohio Redistricting Commission, a seven-member body currently controlled by Republicans, unanimously adopted new maps in September that voting rights advocates and Democrats have argued favor Republicans more than the maps the court previously ruled unconstitutional. The commission's new plan gives Republicans 23 likely Senate seats out of 33 and 61 likely House seats out of 99. The two Democratic members of the commission voting to adopt the plans in late September under looming election deadlines differs from the five previous plans adopted along party lines that the court ruled unduly favored Republicans. The partisan makeup of the state is about 54% Republicans, about 46% Democrat, far more evenly split than the new maps that give Republicans 70 percent control of the Senate and 62 percent control in the House. The bipartisan adoption of the September 2023 plan uh, is a changed circumstance that makes it appropriate to relinquish our continuing jurisdiction over these cases. That's what the decision said. The League of Women Voters challenged legislative maps drafted in 2021 under state constitutional provision, requiring the commission to draw maps representing the partisan preferences of the state. After several rejected maps and missed deadlines, a federal court ordered the use of maps rendered unconstitutional in the 2022 election, with the mandate that the Redistricting Commission draw new maps for 2024. In her dissent, Justice Jennifer Brunner, joined by the court's two other Democrats, argued the process by which the maps were adopted is irrelevant to the court's duty to review their constitutionality. Siding with Republican commission members' request to dismiss the case empowers politicians to draw maps that forward partisan goals. Just because you got this bipartisan commission, we should look at the map, not who says it's okay, is what she's saying. When fairness of a legislative district maps is in contention, the last thing we should do is essentially bless a unanimous deal between the state's major political parties and permit it to go constitutionally unchecked. With candidate filing deadlines fast approaching, Brunner argued the court has paved the way for the maps to move forward without proper review. It will also decrease public trust in the judiciary's ability to be independent from outside political forces. 100 percent, Ohio. They are just trying to take every single voting right you have. All right, let's head up to the Hill. This is from uh, uh, Thorpe and Lebowitz at NBC A group of Senate Democrats met with senior-level Israel Defense Force officials on Monday evening in the Capitol to discuss the Israel-Hamas war and concerns about a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. At least 10 senators attended the meeting, which Senator Brian Schatz, Democrat of Hawaii, described as extremely frank. Quote, we just want to be assured that they're abiding by American values as they try to dismantle Hamas. And we've all conveyed that collectively and clearly. That's what Schatz told reporters. I do believe they heard us, but obviously we have a long way to go. The meeting was not classified, but senators kept the details of the discussions private. The IDF officials did not comment when reporters approached them after the meeting. Senator Tammy Duckworth arranged the meeting, which lasted about two hours, and came as a growing number of Senate Democrats have raised concerns over the civilian casualties and property destruction in Gaza as a result of Israel's military campaign against Hamas. Senator Bernie Sanders said it was informative and important to hear the Israeli military perspective, but he reiterated his belief there should be conditions on any aid the U.S. approves for Israel. I think the idea of simply giving Israel $14 billion without any conditions would be counterproductive, he said. I think the American people are very, very concerned about the number of women and children who have been killed so far. Sanders has previously called for conditioning aid to Israel on a series of factors, including to end the indiscriminate bombing, a freeze on settlement expansion, and a commitment to broad peace talks for a two-state solution. A bipartisan group of dozens of senators on Tuesday attended a closed-door viewing on Capitol Hill of video footage from the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel. Senators Kirsten Gillibrand and Elizabeth Warren were seen wiping away tears after they left the room. Where the video was shown, many senators declined to comment when they left, asking for a moment to process what they had just seen. And here's a content warning. Israel has shown the 46-minute video to lawmakers, journalists, and other groups around the world since October 7th. NBC News journalists viewed the footage in October at a screening in Tel Aviv and said it showed festival-goers running and screaming hiding as bullets and rockets rained down on them. It showed civilians, including young children, shot to death and burned beyond recognition. So, yeah, the senators just watched that footage. Uh, The House watched it earlier this month. Um, House members were invited to watch it. And, of course, as they just explained, um, journalists viewed it in October. So, uh, extremely harrowing video. Next up from CNN, Democratic Representative Robert Garcia of California has put forward a resolution to expel indicted Representative George Santos in the wake of the damning House Ethics Committee investigation into the New York Republican. The resolution from Garcia is privileged, which will require GOP leadership to take up the matter within two legislative days, though it could potentially be preempted if leadership calls up another expulsion resolution first. Before Thanksgiving, House GOP Rep. Michael Guest, a Republican from Mississippi, and the Ethics Committee chair introduced his own resolution to expel Santos. Santos has survived previous attempts to oust him from the House, but there's a growing momentum for this latest effort. Following the ethics investigation, a number of Republicans who previously didn't back expulsion indicated they would now vote in favor. It's still not yet clear whether there would be enough votes to expel him. Expulsion is exceedingly rare and requires two-thirds majority vote in the House to succeed. The renewed push to expel Santos presents a leadership test for House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, House Majority Whip Tom Emmer of Minnesota said Tuesday that Johnson has not yet decided how he will handle efforts to expel Santos this week. Emmer indicated Johnson will make a decision later in the day on the path forward. Emmer dismissed the effort from Garcia to force their hand by offering his own privileged resolution to get rid of Santos, saying they don't care what Democrats do. He also insisted they will not whip the vote if it comes to the floor. Following the release of the ethics report, a spokesperson for the Speaker said the report had very troubling findings, that Johnson urged lawmakers, including Santos, to consider the best interest of the institution as this matter is addressed further. In its report, the ethics committee said it uncovered additional uncharged and unlawful conduct by Santos that went beyond the criminal allegations already pending against him, and would uh, immediately refer the allegations to the Justice Department for further investigation. So that vote could come up as soon as Thursday. I think they want to give him enough time to resign if that's what he decides to do. I know Mike Johnson, when he gave his remarks down in Sarasota, he said that he was trying to avoid an expulsion vote, which made it sound like to me that the gist there was that he was trying to get him to resign. We'll see what happens. And Hunter Biden's lawyer, Abby Lowell, sent a letter to the House Republicans and the chair of the Oversight Committee, Jim Comer, in response to their subpoena, stating Hunter Biden will be happy to testify publicly in front of the full committee any day in December. Pick a day. But the GOP rejected that offer because they want a behind closed doors deposition on December 13th, Taylor Swift's birthday, and will only agree to to a private deposition. Now, Raskin's statement on the House GOP and Hunter Biden says, let me get this straight. After wailing and moaning for 10 months about Hunter Biden and alluding to some vast, unproven family conspiracy, after sending Hunter Biden a subpoena to appear and testify, Chairman Comer and the Oversight Republicans now reject his offer to appear before the full committee and the eyes of the world and to answer any questions they pose. What an epic humiliation for our colleagues, And what a frank confession that they are simply not interested in the facts and have no confidence in their own case or the ability of their own members to pursue it. After the miserable failure of their impeachment hearing in September, Chairman Comer has now apparently decided to avoid all committee hearings where the public can actually see for itself the logical, rhetorical, and factual contortions they have tied themselves up in. The evidence has shown time and again President Biden has committed no wrongdoing, much less an impeachable offense. Chairman Comer's insistence that Hunter Biden's interview should happen behind closed doors proves it once again. What the Republicans fear most is sunlight and the truth. That's Jamie Raskin. Now, normally, I would defend behind closed doors depots like I did when the January 6th committee had their behind closed doors interviews but not here, and here's why. I'm all for rule of law when it's being done for the right reasons. The purpose of the closed-door depots for the January 6th committee was to ensure the protection of the ongoing criminal investigations and to protect the integrity of of the work of the January 6th committee. And if people didn't want to, if they had recalcitrant witnesses, those people just sued or didn't show up nobody was like you know trying to trying to battle this and 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 if they if they were they did it in court right like jim jordan for example but in this case republicans only like the closed door depositions not to preserve the rule of law not to preserve the integrity of investigations but so that they can cherry pick out of context answers and obfuscate the truth If the GOP refuses the public testimony offer, Hunter Biden should do what Republicans always do. Sue to block the subpoena, keep appealing at the maximum number of days. If you have 60 days to to file your appeal, 30 days to file your appeal, 12 days do it on day 12, day 30, day 60, whatever that maximum is. And then by the time it's adjudicated, there'll be a new Congress and the subpoenas will be moot. Like I said, I'm usually all for the rule of law, but not with lawless Republicans. All right. Those are the hot notes, everybody. Uh, We have uh, the amazing, incredible host of Justice Matters, former federal prosecutor, my good friend, Glenn Kirshner, right after this break. Stick around. We'll
1: We'll be right back.
0: Hey, everybody. During the holiday season, it's a good time to reflect on your family traditions and the futures of your loved ones. Being surrounded by family can be a fresh reminder of our responsibility to protect them, which includes planning to secure their future. And that's why I found life insurance using Policy Genius. They help you compare options from top companies with their specialty team of licensed experts on hand to help talk you through it. It's an easy way to give your family peace of mind and create a safety net for their future. That way, if something were to happen to you, your family would still be able to cover expenses while getting their lives back together, whether it's the mortgage college expenses or even monthly bills, life insurance is the best way to ensure your family is prepared for any outcome no matter what happens. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approvals and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, just understand that that might not be enough protection for your family's needs and it might not follow you if you lose your job. Policy Genius respects your time. Their technology makes it easy to compare insurance quotes from America's top insurers. With just a few clicks, you can find your lowest price. They use licensed, award-winning agents who work for you. They work for you, not the insurance companies, which means they don't have incentive to recommend one insurance policy over another. This means you can trust their guidance without worry as they help you find uh, the best fit for your needs. Now, Policy Genius is good for everyone, including parents, caregivers, or anyone who has someone who depends on them. They simplify the process so you can protect the people you love and ensure their future remains secure. It is no surprise Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. It's simple, it's easy, and it's necessary for the future of your fam. Your family deserves peace of mind. A life insurance policy through Policy Genius can give it to them. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am so glad to be joined by my good friend, former federal prosecutor and a host of Justice Matters. If you aren't listening to this podcast or watching this YouTube channel, you are really missing out on some important information about the ongoing trials. And I'm just going to say trials. There's no tribulations because I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Donald John Trump, please welcome Glenn Kirshner. Hey, Glenn, how's it
2: going? Yeah, it's going well. How you doing, A.G.?
0: I'm doing really good. So I get this uh, amazing uh, alert this morning pops up in my feed that you've written a piece for MSNBC talking about a sort of trial date strategy. Can you talk a little bit about this piece that you wrote? We're going to link to it in the show notes so people can read it themselves. But I wanted to have you on to ask you about it.
2: Yeah. So there are so many Trump trials in the mix. And and I think I I draw the analogy between, you know, the the Trump trials and a game of musical chairs like nobody knows when the music's going to stop. When the defendant is going to sit down in one of the defendant's chairs in one of the courtrooms and a little bit inside baseball, I wrote the piece, but I don't write the headlines. And so I saw the headline to the piece says something like, um, you know, a trial delay might not be such a bad thing. And some people were like shouting at me uh, on the Internet, like, what do you mean a trial delay wouldn't be a bad thing? And, And here's actually what I mean by that. You know, I think Donald Trump, we all know, is forever trying to delay his trials. I mean, in a perfect world he would kick all of his trials until after the November 2024 presidential election. I think, you know, based on the misguided belief that somehow he's going to win the presidency and he's going to be able to get out of all of these prosecutions, which I think is is, is extraordinarily unlikely to happen. But, you know, I was in court when John Lauro Uh, One of Donald Trump's defense attorneys, the lead attorney in both the D.C. prosecution and the Florida documents obstruction and espionage case, said to Judge Chutkin, Judge, the only way Donald Trump can get a fair trial is if the trial is pushed until after the November 2024 presidential election, to which Judge Chutkin said this trial will not yield to an election cycle and we will not revisit the trial date. But there's lots of sort of jockeying for position. So I try to take up the likely sequence of these trials. If we take on the easy conflict first, he's got two criminal trials set for March, one in DC and one in New York. That trial date in New York for his falsifying business records to try to steal the 2016 election, that trial date has not been vacated yet. But we have a a pretty good clue that it will be because. At one of the status hearings, when Judge Chutkin was setting the March 4 trial date, she announced on the record, Um, yeah, I talked to Judge Juan Mershon in New York, who's presiding over Donald Trump's prosecution in Manhattan. And I told him I would be setting a March 4 trial date, knowing that Donald Trump also has a New York trial date scheduled for March. Now, she didn't say anything about this other conversation, but it was pretty clear that the federal trial in BC will take precedence over the Manhattan criminal trial. So that trial date will get kicked probably well down the road. So then let's turn to the next one. The next one is the May 20th trial date down in Florida. Now we know, AG, that Judge Cannon has been itching <laughs> to continue that trial date. In fact, she recently continued a full dozen deadlines for filings and for court hearing. So we all sense that a continuance is coming. So Donald Trump might think to himself, that's great. If I can get the documents trial kicked from May 20th, maybe until after the 2024 election, that would be a great thing for me. I'm not so sure. Because if that trial date gets vacated, gets pushed, then that will actually position Donald Trump perfectly to begin his RICO trial in August in Georgia. Because if he went to trial the end of May, I think it's very unlikely that we would see an August trial date in his RICO case because he could very well still be in trial in Florida. Lots of moving pieces here. But I think when the music stops, Donald Trump will face the music and it will probably begin in March in Washington, D.C.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And the only thing... That could, I think, derail the March date are these potential interlocutory appeals for constitutional things. I don't think the double jeopardy thing is going to go very far, but the, the immunity, the total presidential immunity, you know, which is just monarchy against everything that the United States stands for and the reason we were founded in the first place. That is could go interlocutory appeal. It's a constitutional issue. Only a certain amount so or certain kinds of appeals have to be decided before the trial date happens. And, you know, Randall Eliasen just did a, a big piece, I think, in The Times about this, and we've been talking about it on the Jack episode. I think that you know, given what we we've seen the DC Circuit Court of Appeals move at lightning speed like in regard to the gag order, Judge chutkins gag order, for example. Uh, I think they would move at at lightning speed once, and I do believe Judge Chutkin will deny all these motions. Um, then I think it's going to go very quickly through the Court of Appeals. He could appeal on bonk, and I honestly don't think, and, and and Randall Eliason doesn't think so either. I don't think Supreme Court's going to take up this kind of case anyway, uh, because they haven't they haven't really taken up anything with regards to like privilege, the the fast privilege battles that Merrick Garland was fighting before Jack Smith was even appointed. Those were just going so quickly, so I was wondering what your thoughts were on the on the potential derailment of March because of those these possible interlocutory appeals.
2: So first of all, I love that you called the absolute immunity motion the monarchy motion. I'm probably going to steal that, but I will give you attribution. That's a be- That's beautifully put. Um, I think both of these um, legal issues that are subject to interlocutory appeals. Let's take a step back usually defendants don't get to appeal anything until they're convicted and they're sentenced. And then what their defense team does is they batch up all of the legal issues in one direct appeal. But because there are some motions that if successful, they would basically result in the case being over instantly, they would require dismissal of the indictment. Two such motions, if legitimate, and that's a big if, are the double jeopardy motion and the absolute immunity motion. They're both laughable. And I'm with you that the Supreme Court has absolutely no reason to accept review of either of those two issues, which will undoubtedly be rejected by both Judge Chutkin and the DC Circuit Court of Appeals. you know the the uh, the double jeopardy. I'm not even going to waste my breath on because you know the, the political <laughs> proceeding of an impeachment trial. It, you know does not have any double jeopardy implications for a later criminal prosecution. The absolute immunity really would be a more vibrant issue if this was a civil suit, but there is no authority. There's no statute. There's no precedent. There's no constitutional provision that says. A president can never be tried for his crimes, So I think they're both laughable. And here's the thing. Just as you said, you know, the Supreme Court has not really done Donald Trump a solid in really any of the cases that he's been pursuing. Most notably, they didn't review any of these 60-plus election challenge cases. If they really wanted to help reinstall Donald Trump into the Oval Office... Aspiring dictator that he is, they could have done it in the election challenge arena. So I agree with you. They shouldn't take up either of these two issues. But, you know, we've got characters like Alito and Thomas on the Supreme Court. So who knows what their true objectives are. But I think so little of the Supreme Court, a block of justices on the Supreme Court, that here is this has been my sense all along. I don't think they're going to do anything that runs the risk. Of installing an aspiring dictator back into power. Why? Because the Supreme Court, particularly those justices on the right, love their supreme status. And the last thing a lab, the last thing a dictator has any interest in, it's a Supreme Court. He wants an inferior court. And Donald Trump has already made noises about being willing to willing to terminate the Constitution. You don't think he would marginalize the Supreme Court in a hundred ways if he regained power? So I think
0: what Netanyahu was doing in Israel, trying to get
2: rid of the Mm -hmm. courts. Right. So I think the Supreme Court is motivated by their own supremacy and their own sense of self-preservation, and they will not be a stumbling block to that speedy trial that's scheduled to begin on March 4th in D.C. That's how little I think of the Supreme Court.
0: Well, I hadn't even thought of it that way. Um, just from their own desire to, to maintain power. Wow.
2: Self-preservation. That's what they're all about. They don't want a code of ethics. So what did they do? They issued a pamphlet of suggestions. Come oh. on, guys.
0: <laughs> that was so embarrassing. That was so embarrassing. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people have been saying, they don't want to, you know, they're in the middle of a legitimacy crisis. They don't want to be like less legitimate. But I, I, I'm I, with you. I think it's they don't want to get rid of their power yep. or have their power uh, curtailed at all, which will happen in in an autocracy, uh, as we have uh, seen. Like I said, we've, we have recent examples of it. Thank you so much. Everybody needs to check out Justice Matters. Read this piece. We'll link to it in the show notes uh, by Glenn Kirshner. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time to explain it to us today. Thanks, A.G. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Sleep has never been easier and more restful after I started using my custom mattress made for me by Helix Sleep. It's head and shoulders above anything I've ever slept on. I wake up feeling refreshed every day. I could never go back to my old mattress. Just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders, plus a sleep bundle for our listeners in honor of Cyber Monday. Go to helixsleep.com dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER25. Helix Sleep has 20 different mattress models, including the award-winning Lux and the Elite Collection. There's something for everyone, including big and tall and small sleepers. Everyone is covered. Helix offers models tailored for every sleep style and preference. And you go take the quiz that I told you about. Order your mattress. It's shipped right to your doorstep completely for free. My ideal mattress is the Helix Midnight. As you know, it's medium-firm which I love, and I sleep on my side, so it's good for side sleepers. It's it's everything I need for a perfect night's sleep. It's the best mattress I've ever had in my life. You'll never have to go to another mattress store again, which is good because they're weird. But there's a risk-free trial also. So 100 nights, you could try it for 100 sleeps in your own home. And all mattresses come with a 10 or 15-year warranty. So choose Helix Sleep, and your sleep problems will be history. Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders, plus a sleep bundle. For our listeners, in honor of Cyber Monday, just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER25. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. near good news good news and if you have good news confessions corrections you want to play what the mutt what what the shell right what the hell's in that shell uh, opine on the bovine what the heck wine cat me if you can guess whatever animal send it in we'll guess we'll even guess what kind of animal it is that's probably something that we'll be better at than guessing the breeds of animals uh, send in baby pictures of frog orgies shout out to loved ones shit kids say misheard song lyrics we haven't heard, we haven't had any of uh, those Monda Greens in a while. You can send that to us too. Uh, any holiday photos that you have? Uh, if you don't have a pod pet t- that you can share your pod pet tax with us, then you can d- just send an adoptable pet in your area, and we'll see if we can find a home, a forever home for the baby. Uh, anyway, send it all to us, DailyBeansPod.com. Click on contact. And uh, we look forward to reading your good news submissions. Thank you so much. Um, Heads up, patrons, this Friday's happy hour is going to start at 5 p.m. Pacific time because I'm flying home that day from D.C. So instead of 4 Pacific, which is when it usually is, it's at 5 Pacific. So just a heads up to our patrons. If you want to become a patron and join our happy hours, they're amazingly fun. Zoom calls where where you can ask me anything and I'll answer your questions. Uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash miller She wrote. All right. Several <laughs> corrections on the pronunciation of Scylla and Carbdis, uh, Charybdis. Um, Silas, pronounce he and him. Pronunciation correction. Hello, amazing people. So I drifted off between snoozes listening to today's episode and had a hilarious dream where you, AG, were my college professor, were randomly had a tree climbing race in a pine tree I won, but only because I'm specifically good at climbing trees, not because you're not. Okay. After I chided you still in the dream over your pronunciation of charybdis, one of two maritime hazards, the other being scylla that Odysseus had to navigate between in Homer's Odyssey. (laughs) Oh, and then they gave me a way to pronounce Odyssey. Thank you very much. It's the inspiration for the idiom between a rock and a hard place. Oh, charybdis and scylla. Now I get it. One of the many perils of uh, being kind of an introverted loner kid and reading uh, instead of hearing these words Um, making this literary reference once helped me get a new U.S. passport in under three hours. World record? But that's a story for another day. I want to hear this story. Thanks for all you do. And I hope Dana feels better if she doesn't already. Cheers. Charybdis and Scylla. I've got it now. Tim C. adds, my experience with this phrase originates in my high school Latin class, but also sting from the police and their song wrapped around your finger. You consider me the young apprentice caught between the Scylla and Charybdis. Hmm again totally missed that all these years and i took latin what the fuck how did i get how we hmm, you know what learn something new every day truly love your show and all you've accomplished i eagerly await your pot each morning and love the refried beans now i have something to listen to seven days a week <laughs> thanks tim <laughs> appreciate that thomas pronouns he and him thank goodness for algorithms and birds after the beans last week I went looking for the Leslie Jones sketch. It wasn't Saturday Night Live. I realized after I recorded, I'm I'm interjecting here, Thomas. I realized after I recorded, it was The Daily Show, not Saturday Night Live. Uh, Thomas goes on to say, thank goodness the algorithms directed me to The Daily Show and the best sketch ever. Also, we do not have proper tits in North America. Those are European birds. We have chickadees, but we do have tit mice. And a bird I cannot believe has been overlooked so far in this conversation, the bush tit. Bush tits are tiny but fierce. In the winter, they flock uh, family groups because they stick together. Uh, They explode in a cacophony of alarm whenever hawks fly by. I do have a picture of a bush tit for pod pet tax. I do not, excuse me, have a picture of a bush tit for pod pet tax. But here's a link to a great, free, and reputable source of information on birds that will get you to a bunch of photos of these cute little birds. This is allaboutbirds.org slash guide bush tit. Look how cute. Uh, bush tit by James Cummins. <laughs> it's so cute. I bet they have cute little chirps. Tweep, tweeps. All right, next up from Leslie P. Pronouns, she and her. Queens of the beans. Thank you both and the entire MSW team for all you do. I'm a devoted patron and listener of the beans. Clean up on L45 and Jack. And recently binge listened to Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Awesome podcast. Oh my God, it is so good. If you haven't listened, go listen. It is such a fucking cool podcast. And John Cryer, my biggest crush ever in the history of the universe, is the narrator. Um, but it's It's intense. It's really a great, great podcast. Uh, anyway, you keep me optimistic and sane in these crazy times. Thank you, Leslie P. My day does not feel complete without an episode. I'm also enjoying the refried beans. and I love the Mitch Hedberg clip in the intro. <laughs> one of my favorite comedians. Me too. Leslie, one of the greatest. I love him so much. We live in Colorado Springs. I was so happy to hear Mary's story on Friday about the number of beans listeners in the springs. I'm also an over 50 bird watcher. And yes, just got started about age 50. When I was an 80s punk rocker and my husband is a legit rock guitar player, and now we get all excited about finches, juncos, hummingbirds, woodpeckers, etc., and squirrels in our backyard. I've laughed out loud at all the recent tit jokes and wanted to share my favorite, the bush tit. Okay, it's bush tit day on the Daily Beans. I actually had bush tits on my uh, in on my in my feeder in the snow this morning, but couldn't catch a good photo. But needless to say, my husband and I laugh every time we see this bird's name. I've enclosed a couple of photos of some of our favorite backyard friends, including Jewel the hummingbird and Frankie Medford the squirrel. I'm into raising butterflies, so I'm also sharing a photo of a butterfly emerging from its chrysalis, taken from a time lapse video. Would you like to hear more about raising butterflies? Yes, I would. I was an art major in college, so I didn't have to write a thesis, but my son is currently a PhD candidate at Caltech and recently published a paper in the Journal of the American Chemical Society entitled Total Synthesis of Aleutianamine. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, (laughs) Leslie, says, don't ask me how to pronounce it. Um, Yeah, me neither. Your guess is as good as mine. Aleutianamine. Aluteanamine? Aluteanamine? Oh, (laughs) It's a molecule that may help with pancreatic cancer. I can't express how proud of him I am and all his hard work. Thank you both again for all that you do. Thank you, Leslie. That's a great submission. Hey, squirrel. Yeah, we have squirrel parties on the roof out here. Um, Painted Lady Butterfly and chrysalis. Oh, look at that. Oh, she's beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you for sending me that. That's great. Awesome. All right. Next up. Oh, chickens from Nick, pronouns he and him. I thought I'd contribute to the animal guessing of what the cluck. (laughs) The yellow chicken, who couldn't hold still for a good picture, is Susie. And the black one with the yellowish diamond markings is McChicken, upgraded from McNugget after she started laying. And the brown pair are Wendy and Lisa. Are Wendy and Lisa from the revolution? prince and revolution i hope so answers are of course below and i'm happy to contribute to your zoological joy thanks for all your hard work nick you have to tell me what, when if wendy and lisa are named after the revolution these are beautiful beautiful birds i'm going to say a red a red bird <laughs> a red chicken i don't i don't i don't know chicken breeds other than silkies that one looks like it's got like a cool kind of, uh, like a, like almost like a red-tailed hawk, but in reverse. All right, let's, let's learn what these chickens are. Susie, Calico princess or princess Calico. I'm not sure which is correct. McChicken is a Wyandote. Am I saying that right? And Wendy and Lisa are Easter eggers. Okay. Well, they're all beautiful. I want to pet them. Next up from Gwen. No pronouns. Hello. You asked for Christmas tree picks. You've probably gotten too many to read, but there's a funny story with mine. You know how little kids like to do it myself? Well, the founders in Thanksgiving buffet knows. So they make a whole little buffet with kid food. I saw an odd couple serving themselves from it. At first was snobby enough to scoff at them in my head. Um... Then I realized that they just wanted some plain mashed potatoes instead of the fancy stuff at the grown-up table. So I thought, rock on. I'm sorry, I think I said odd couple. I meant, I meant older couple. Clancy is under the tree. The bear is nanook. Look. That's a beautiful tree. Hi, cutie cutie. Yeah, I, sometimes, Gwen, I just like to order from the kids' menu because I just want a grilled cheese and then some goddamn tomato soup. Is that too much? Is that too weird? I don't think so either. So yeah, see the older couple at the kid's buffet to just get the plain mashed potatoes. I am so down for that. Thanks for that submission. And thanks to everybody. Um, everybody send your baby pictures. I really want to give like Dana a shot in the arm uh, of, of baby pictures uh, while she's on the mend. Hoping she'll be back in... Uh, in- in your ears tomorrow. Uh, but we definitely just want to make sure that she has enough time to get better. So send those healing vibes. Thanks to my good friend, Glenn Kirshner, for joining me today and talking about the trial schedule. Um, we look forward to updates uh, from Glenn. And I'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Boat blue over Q. Take care of your family and bring someone with you. All the things. I've been A.G. and them's the beans.